Welcome to Fierce Female Filmmakers, a production of Artemisia's Daughters, a non-profit organization that aims to inspire, educate, empower, and employ women of all ages and backgrounds in the film and TV industries. Welcome, Michelle Mary Schaefer. Do you go by Michelle Mary or just Michelle? People usually call me just Michelle. But for theater and like film, I tend to use my full name, Michelle Mary. Of course, I understand. And Laura, welcome, the intrepid interpreter. Thank you. I had prepared a little intro for Michelle, but I think um, what's always more interesting is to get the guest to to introduce themselves and tell us who they are in the world. I will preface it by saying welcome to Fierce Female Filmmakers, our podcast as part of Artemisia's Daughters. But Michelle is an actress. She is a director. She is a writer, a screenwriter and a playwright. And she under all of that umbrella, she is deaf. She is hard of hearing. So uh, we have an interpreter to tell us everything about her. And and welcome, welcome to to Artemisia's daughters. How are you doing today, Michelle? Perfect. I'm great. I'm really excited about this podcast. Well, it's wonderful to have you because, as you know, our what we're trying to do here is to tell the stories of women making their way in film and television. And you are doing that. Tell me a little bit about how you got started. Well, I started out as an actor. When I saw Children of a Lesser God, Starling Marley Matlin, I saw her and I noticed that she was deaf. And I thought, gosh, I want to be just like her. So my career really started there, and I got really involved in the industry, movies, television, writing scripts. I'm overwaiting for opportunities to arise for me. I decided to just make my own way. That's very interesting that you mention Marley Matlin, because that film was 25 years ago, 30 years ago. And really, she's the only deaf actor that I know. I'm sure there are many, but the opportunities for a deaf actor are very few. And I can tell that, as you said, you weren't going to sit around and wait for somebody to invite you to play a role in their production. So it was very important to begin. What was the first, what was your first experience of acting on stage or on film? So I had my very first experience on stage when I was four because I was a dancer. I quit dancing to play soccer when I was a teenager, but my passion stayed for acting. And then when I was 11 years old, I had my first acting role on stage. And I worked in many different uh, theater experiences from there. So my, my first role when I was 11 was a very, very small part. But you know what they say, there's no small parts, right? And it was a beginning. It was a good place to start. The show was called, the show was called Song of Hiawatha. Oh, based on the epic poem. Exactly. 
the very old poem. That's a long time ago. Wow. But now you're, you're creating, tell me a little bit about your web series, because that sounds fascinating to me. So the web series started because I was trying to work on a project with deaf and hard of hearing people for about four years. I just kept trying to get that started, but I couldn't get people to commit to it and they didn't match my passion. So I almost gave up that dream until I met Maria Forsyth. And the two of us just clicked and we decided to make a project together. So we wrote a, I wrote a script, I gave it to her, and the two of us really went from there and made the web series. It's about a woman named Lauren and her journey in the world of love and complicated relationships. And who plays Lauren? I do. That's me. Excellent. Excellent. Yep. Just me. All of the other actors are, all of the other filmmakers are hearing. What kind of adaptation have you had to make or do they have to make to work with a deaf actor, writer, producer? You know, I'm used to working in the hearing world and in a hearing environment. I can read lips a little bit and I'll gesture a lot to communicate. I do speak a little bit. And if I don't understand your written notes... It's really not that hard to work hearing and deaf together. It's more about patience and being understanding. And filmmakers, of course, they've been amazing, especially the people involved in real. Because um, one thing I've learned in my film making career is that there are several qualities that make good filmmakers and they are adaptability, the ability to collaborate and being very good at being, you know, both those things at the same time because lots of changes happen. So if you're incorporating somebody who has a different need, like a disability or anything, you just incorporate that into your schedule and into your rehearsal. And and it's just a new skill. You're always learning new skills. And that's part of the collaboration and the adaptability of the individuals. Yes, definitely. So it sounds like you've been very lucky in that respect. I, I'm honestly, lucky is not quite the right word. It's, it's really more of a passion. Yes. I think the industry needs to open their mind a little bit and maybe open their eyes and heart because there's so much potential there. Yes. I like that. Yes. And that's absolutely key as well. Yeah. I've been noticing that in film... In the entire industry, they want honesty. They want honest stories, right? I have a script. I'm right here. I'm ready. I try to give it to them, you know. I've got it in hand. I'm a film writer. I've got a TV series. I've got everything ready. It's right here. Um, and I'm deaf. I wrote this. Yes. And we still have a long way to go. And people tend to ignore me. And I understand all of that because it's the same in the hearing world, as a woman who's not young, I'm in my late midlife. Right, deaf, exactly. And the same thing, I have all the confidence, surround me with people with more experience so I don't mess up. I want to learn on the job as I go, and they still will say, but you don't have any experience. So that's why many of the women I'm speaking with are all they're not just writers they're not just directors they're writers directors producers because they have to be and what that brings for us is um i'm now being invited to just be hired as a director and i don't like 
not having a producer role, even though that's still a lot more work because you feel you're used to having the control over your work. And when you're hired, you're working for them. That's just a little bit of a difference. But the thing to do as well that I've noticed with these women on this podcast is that they are very passionate like you. They just never give up. And for my part, I never stopped talking about my film. Never, never until it was made. And I saw that, I see that in your website, in your social media. It's what we have to do. And when you look at men and how men introduce themselves into the industry, it's very different, I think. Have you noticed that? Do you have something to say about men hearing or deaf in the industry that you've observed? I mean, I agree with 100% with everything you've been saying. It's kind of sad. Um, so Sarah Treem, she uh, wrote the play When We Were Young and Unafraid, which is a play that I was in a few years ago. She's the one who wrote that quote that I love, we will never be equal with men. Um, Michelle, if you could type it in the chat, then I can say it in English because I know it's important to have the quote right exactly. So Sarah Treem, she really pointed out that women are not equal to men and that one day it will happen in general. They're, well, not equal to men in film, but we are, you know, there, there's, let's be honest, there's physical differences. There are physical differences. Yes, definitely. Like it would be hard for a, a woman to carry a huge camera across a film set, but the cameras are getting lighter and lighter. And if you're on a big enough production, you have a whole crew of people who can help you with something potentially physically, you know, a physical bar to you doing your job. But that's not, that's not the issue here. The issue is there is lots of noise about having more women's voices and it's still a struggle for us. I had a, a male director friend a few years ago now saying, but you're a female director. They should be, aren't they throwing money at you? And I was like, no, they're not. I'm still having to be as determined and passionate to convince anybody that I can do the job. What are the next steps for real? Have you, it's, it's up on YouTube. Can we watch it? So the next step for real is to make the rest of the season, but COVID has really been a barrier for that. We, we're definitely going to have to fundraise so we can help um, get the filming done for that. And then we just want to get it released. Maybe Amazon or a company like that. The, the pilot is a small, sh is a short film in its own right. So you've been entering it into film festivals. Yes. It is on YouTube. There's two episodes and it's been in many film festivals too. When you do a crowdfunding campaign, please let us know and we can, we can shout out. Yeah, sure. Sure thing. I've been doing so much thinking about that. A lot of planning, a lot of just trying to figure out. Um, I mean, there's a lot of responsibility there. So just trying to get through all of that. Yeah. And also, I see that you're planning to work in the UK. I want to. 
I would love to film a movie in the UK. I wrote a screenplay for it called Destiny. And my goal was to film it in Cornwall. Do you know that I am British? I did know that. But I'm living in America, so it's I'm a hybrid. Nice. I'm looking for investors, producers, people to help make that project happen. It's just a huge dream. Um, you know Claire Foy? She's just the dream actress. I want her in that movie. Hi, Claire. <laughs> call her, Claire. Don't wait for her to call you. Yes, well, and that's that's it too, isn't it? Is it exposure. And we have a lot of access to social media and so forth. Oftentimes there's an agent in front of the actor you'd like to just read your script. And that's a very... They're a sort of necessary evil. They are the the gatekeepers to these well-known successful actors. And unless you actually know somebody to get your script to them sometimes, or unless you have really good representation yourself, it's very challenging to meet the actors that you'd like to work with. Yeah, definitely a challenge. I'm truly, really not going to give up on that challenge, though. I just, you know, I try to get by every day. I don't have a job right now outside of filmmaking. Although I will say, I write scripts. That's what I consider my job. And I look for people to connect with. I network. I do everything myself. Mm. But I, nothing for pay right now. No. That's it. No. And, and take every opportunity you can to... Um, to share that information, share your passion. I have seen some of your um, your YouTube videos where they appear to be like self-tapes, but you've taken a piece of drama, a character, and you interpret it as a deaf actor. Is that correct? They're fascinating to me. Yeah. Why limit myself to deaf roles? An actor can become anyone. An actor can take any role. I play Hamlet. Yes. Why not? Yes. Yes. And I think the more actors with challenges, I, I don't know how to frame it properly, but somebody who, who doesn't have all of their ability to be anything and do anything, I think it's very short sighted of us. I, you know, what there needs to be are more stories with deaf characters in them. Again, Mr. Holland's opus that we talked about. That was in 1995, and it had a, a genuine deaf character in the story. And the irony was he was the son of a music teacher, so this boy could not hear his father's passion, which was music. And where, where are those characters and those stories being folded into all of the stories that we tell? Uh, a character in a wheelchair who happens to be a wheelchair user, but it's not because they're a disabled character. Does that make sense? That's what needs to change for me. Oh, yeah. So anything else? All this passion inside you, Michelle. Tell me something else about your your observations of women, not necessarily deaf actors or directors, but women in the film industry that you'd like to see change? I want to see women command respect. I want to see their growth in the film industry. 
I want to see women treat other women with respect and equality. Unfortunately, I've been oppressed and bullied by other women because of my deafness. It hurts me because I, I want to grow as a writer, but I feel like I keep being swept under the rug. You know, like, oh, yeah, no big deal. Or you go work with the disability people. Um, they just don't take me seriously as a human outside of that. But I am a woman. I am a human. And I just happen to be deaf. My deafness isn't, doesn't stop me. I just can't hear. But I have dreams. I have passion. I have stories to tell. It's time for people to look around and see us as humans. I also want to see more women empower each other. Like, you know, Phoebe Waller-Bridges, she's an actor. She's a writer. She, she wants to create opportunities for other people. I feel like her in a way. I see her projects. They have the same people from before her show, before she got famous, you know, She's got strong connections with other women. That's beautiful. We need more people like her. And I feel like I'm one of them. And you too. We need those strong connections. We need those strong bridges. We need to keep it going. Part of it for me is that I feel very lonely on my own film sets as a woman. There'll be hair and makeup and wardrobe, nearly always a woman, and Everybody else in my short directing career are men. And even when I'm doing the hiring, I did hire a female DP for my film, but she got a big TV show and had to leave the project. And I hired uh, a DP who had shot a t the teaser for me. So he had given me, he'd, he'd spent, he'd given me a lot of his time for free. And he really wanted to shoot the feature. So you want to work with people who really want to work with you. So not through lack of trying. That's one example. But it's hard to find women with the skills and experience. Because when I'm a starting filmmaker, I need crew who are more experienced than me. So it's a, it's a practical and a logistical problem. And this is why I started Artemisia's Daughters, to talk to 15-year-old girls. Look, you can be a DP. You can design sound. You can compose music for films because there's all these jobs that are not acting. And, you know, those are the, that was the only job presented to me when I was a young woman. Be an actress. And I loved acting. And in my entire career, I was directed by four women. Wow. Three of them were in theater and one was on television. Wow. And she was having a horrible time. And I thought, I don't want that job. Everybody's going, they're all looking, waiting for her to mess up. We need more role models out there for sure. And, and that's what I'm trying to be because, because selfishly, I want more women, trained women with their skills who can help me because I can't do all the jobs. I didn't become a director in my thirties or early or until my mid forties because I thought the job was too difficult that I didn't have the skills. And it turns out 
I just need to be a storyteller and have a very strong vision and a very strong interpretation of the story. And then there are all these other people that can help you bring that together. But nobody told me that. (laughs) Oh, man, I understand you completely. Totally understand that. Those women need a chance. There are women out there who need a chance for sure. They just need a chance to grow. They need a chance to connect, to learn. So before I made real, I never went to film school, obviously. I didn't know school like that, no training. I'm self-taught. I've just watched a lot of movies. Uh, I've studied theater. I've analyzed my stories uh, through writing. And when I write, sometimes it's not perfect. But when something on paper gets transferred to a screen, it's like magic. I learned so much on my own with real specifically. Something that I had written on paper, it feels better than film school. Sometimes on set, like going through the process, I feel like I've learned more than I could have in any school setting. I absolutely agree. Yes. Yes. I I think there are two schools of thought. You could go to film school and spend the money and come out with a bunch of little short films, or you could spend that money on learning and making your short films or even making a feature if you're brave enough and you have the feature that you can sell or you, you, I think there are many ways to enter the industry and many transferable skills. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Like skills that women have like multitasking. Oh man, me definitely. I'm a multitasker for sure. So can you imagine a day Imagine all of your obstacles that are there right now have melted away. Oh, I actually used the right word. <laughs> I interpreted my own. They melted away. And you were making a film with just deaf actors. Do you see that day or are you, do you want to integrate more? Definitely depends on the story. In my web series right now, I'm the only deaf actor. But Destiny, the movie that I want to film in the UK, that has two deaf characters. Tell me a little bit about that. So it's about a woman who lives in the US who's facing trauma and oppression from society. And she makes friends with an older woman who lives in the UK. Their friendship grows so much. They've got an incredibly strong connection. The older woman has traumatic events in her life. And the woman in the United States travels to England The older woman in the UK has life crisis. Something happens. I'm not going to say what happens. I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to give it away. (laughs) So the woman in the States decides to fly there to Cornwall, both to heal from her own personal trauma and to help her friend. And then she meets a third woman there who is the older woman's, who is the older woman's niece. And they develop their own connection. They learn from each other about different cultures, the U.S.-U.K. perspectives, and they they learn the differences between ASL and BSL. And I'm not going to tell you what happens in the end. You're going to have to help me get the movie made and uh, find producers for me, and then we'll make the movie happen and you can learn. I I know um, just listening to you tell the outline of that story Uh, I spoke with Holly Tarkini, who runs the Bath Film Festival. 
and she also created something called the F rating. And it's, it's one step beyond the Bechdel test, which is, um, I'm sure you know, it's a movie with two female named characters who talk about something other than men. And your film will pass the Bechdel test, but also it is, it covers the F rating because it's female characters, female writer, female director. You know, they have, they have this category and Holly says her ambition is to, is to retire the F rating because 50% of all the films in the world will have that about them. Oh, interesting. That's delightful. So, so yes, it's, um, it's, it's a tough jungle out there, but, I feel too that um, with these conversations, we're all connecting, even if we're connecting virtually, there are friendships and connections being made. And I will ask everybody in these podcasts, I will ask them their permission to share and cross-pollinate and make sure that even within Artemisia's daughters, we're, we're creating a strong network of skilled women in the industry. Oh, that's a wonderful idea. We definitely need more women to support each other. And we need more people to hear about us. You know, it's word of mouth. Networking is great. I've been very fortunate to work with some amazing men in the movie industry and on stage as well. I want them to feel welcome. I want us to feel welcome. We need that positivity to spread. Men that support and respect women. I mean, there's space for them for sure. And we need more of that. Men who believe in our work. Men who want to show off our work. I met an amazing man recently who happens to love my script. And he wants to help and I'll accept that help. And it's one indicator that I, I know the general audience will also love this story. Fantastic. Fantastic. Michelle, it has been absolutely amazing and fascinating and inspiring to talk to you today because it just warms my heart that for me and for my community, at least, there are no barriers. There are barriers but we need to find ways to overcome them. They're not problems or challenges. They're just something else you put into the schedule or the budget. Like COVID restrictions, we have to do tests now. We have to quarantine maybe now. What's the difference? And so filmmaking is complicated anyway. We need to be open and available to put it in the budget. And having, having somebody like yourself who's so strong and passionate in what they're doing, trust me, it's only a matter of time before it becomes normal, acceptable. Nobody makes a comment about it. It's, it's how we do business. We definitely agree on that. I'm looking forward to more opportunities in film, TV, theater. I just want it to become, I want to put my life story on screen. I have an agent in the UK now who strongly believes in me and I hope more doors will start opening and I maybe someday I'll do a show on stage in the UK. Maybe we'll meet up at BAFTA and have a cup of tea and we'll both be there at the same time. 
We'll have to invite Laura, though, because she'll have to be the interpreter. Laura, you'll have to come, too. Oh, yeah. The interpreter says, yes, I'm in. Michelle says, come on, come on. (laughs) That would be so lovely. Thank you so much. I'm going to wrap things up now. It's been so wonderful because all my memories of filming Mr. Holland's opus have come back to me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Michelle Mary Schaefer is a deaf actress and writer. Her extraordinary ASL interpreter was Laura Quinn Tubsing. Fierce Female Filmmakers is a production of Artemisia's Daughters. For more information, go to artemisiasdaughters.org. Our theme tune is composed by Charlie Mackey.